HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Jacobson Salt Company, America's leading salt maker. Learn more at jacobsonsalt.com. That's J-A-C-O-B-S-E-N salt.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring food for the eyes, how the art and culinary worlds collide. It's incredibly elaborate. It's a feast for the eyes, a banquet dinner with garnished ham, turkey, and an array of accompaniments. We shot uh, baguettes with like paint dripping off of them with the blue, white, and red from the French flag. Oh, what did the student tell me? They said, the camera eats first. And it's so true. It's so true. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, I'm Jimmy Carboni, I'm the host here, and it's Tuesday, February 4th, 2020. We've got a pretty cool show uh, in the works tonight. Uh, there's a brewery in Chicago called Hopewell Brewing, and um, they're in the studio tonight with some of their beer friends. So let's go around the room and everyone introduce themselves. Let's start with Hopewell. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Samantha Lee, and I'm one of the founders of Hopewell Brewing Company in Chicago. Yeah, and I'm Stephen, uh, another co-founder of Hopewell Brewing in Chicago. So what's great and is that my you, husband. yeah, your husband too. So <laughs> so you guys had reached out. Um, you know, are you guys in the New York market? Are you guys looking to come to New York market? Yeah, we are not in the New York market yet. Um, we used to live here though. We lived here about five years ago. So we opened the business. We're turning four uh, tomorrow. Uh, and we've been out of New York for about five years now. So we've always thought about uh, bringing our beer to New York because oh, we love great. it here. Yeah. really look forward to talking to you guys. And we got a couple other guests here, a friend from Carton Brewing. Hi, I'm Katie Cochran uh, with Carton Brewing in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey, but I live here in Brooklyn. And what, what's your job at Carton? I run the uh, OWC program, which is the uh, barrel and sour program, as well as the quality lab. That's great. And you, you told me earlier that you have um, some great connections with uh, in Colorado, like True. Uh, yeah, I used to brew out in, uh, in Denver at uh, Great Divide and then at True Brewing for a little while. That's great. And what did you do your... Um, your thesis in college on? Oh, uh, <laughs> I wrote a thesis on the uh, co-fermentation uh, between Brett and Sachs species of yeast. 
but inspired by... Uh, after reading the uh, dissertation by Chad Jacobson from Crooked Stave. Yeah, that's cool. So we have some very cool beer people in this room. And another good buddy, I knew you from, uh, you worked at Burp Castle for many years. Yeah, my name's Tom Pavlich. Um, I'm the Remarkable Liquids West Side Territory Manager. Um, I also bartend at Browery Lane in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. That's great. So, Tom, you're, you're kind of the glue that, that brought this all together. So uh, how do you know um, S- Stephen... Um, <laughs> You know so, him from beer, you know him from beyond no, that. I know Sam and Steven through friends when they moved to New York how many years ago? Yeah, I think like eight years ago. Yeah, our friend Joe um, was <laughs> like, I need to make a friend connection. And like we all got together for dinner. We've been friends yeah, since. Tom uh, had great barbecues in his backyard. So you guys are beer friends. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So Hopewell. So tell me about Chicago. You know, we had on Mars Brewing last year. I'm good buddies with Michael at the Hop Leaf. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know too much about Chicago. Uh, Chicago's a great, great beer city. Um, I think we've got the most breweries per state. I don't know. The Tribune put out some sort of number. We have a huge amount of small breweries. Um, Hopewell, we're uh, about 3,000 barrels, uh, which is a lot for us. It's every ounce of beer we could make last year. So um, we're slowly adding a little capacity. We're coming up on our fourth anniversary. Um, and the neighborhood and the city have been really great. We, we self-distribute... Um, in Illinois, we're allowed uh, to self-distribute up to a, a certain cap. We're about halfway there, and so we kind of just chasing that and uh, enjoying enjoying making beer and uh, driving it around the city and delivering it. So you guys didn't go in cold. I mean, you have a back background in beer, don't you? Steve? Yeah, my back. So I studied uh, biology in undergrad, and then I went out to UC Davis. They have a great brewing program there. Um, they terminate in a. Uh, Brewer Distillers Test. It's like a global test. Everyone takes it on the same day. Um, And that year, I got the highest uh, score in the world, um, which felt great. Um, It got me a job scrubbing floors at a brewery, which (laughs) also felt great. Um, What what, what was that brewery? I was out at uh, the Widmer Brothers Brewery, part of Craft Brew Alliance, um, uh, out in Portland, Oregon. And I actually spent a a crush uh, working in wine as well um, and kind of quickly left that and moved into beer. Uh, but from there, Samantha and I were married. We moved out to New York. I was working with Brooklyn Brewery with uh, Garrett and the Ottaways and the whole team there. Um, and then, and what uh, did you do there? I started in production brewing, um, but kind of quickly moved over towards operations. So at the time, we were running the Williamsburg Brewery. We brew up at FX Matt, and there was a bunch of projects all around the world. So it's always puzzles of where we're brewing, what we're brewing, and where it needs to go. Um, and I, I really went to school with the operations team there. You know, Tom, I, I'm impressed. I've so tell me again, UC Davis. What test did you take? Uh, it's called the Master Brewers and Distillers Test. And you got the highest score in the world. Yeah, they give out like an award, and it's like a written test. I swear, if I do it again, I would never get nearly as high. Um, but my handwriting got really great that year practicing for that test because you're literally writing out essays for for the whole thing. So, Samir, that. that you give us a little bit of your your interaction with this guy as your yeah. husband in terms of opening a brewery. You know, what do you look for from him? You know, constant support, love. <laughs> um, so we met when we were in college, uh, when we were nineteen. Um, 
And my background is not in beer at all. So this is actually my first for-profit gig, uh, my longest job I've ever had in my life. I've worked in nonprofits and philanthropy before this. Um, so very, very different space. But uh, one of the things that we kept coming back to is what would it look like to have our own business? What, what kind of packaging would we have? What's our branding look like? Uh, what kind of employers are we? What does our taproom look like? These are things that we constantly obsessed over um, for years and years. So... When a space opened up in Logan Square, where we are open, uh, we jumped on it. We, we took out a huge business loan. Um, but it was something that we just couldn't get out of our minds. And we're, uh, our third partner is our good friend Jonathan Fritz. And um, the three of us just work really well together and sort of build. I can't really imagine doing this without uh, three total people. We sort of make one one whole human that can run a business together. <laughs> It's great. Well, we'll yeah. tell us about the beer we're drinking because it's actually a beer I want more of. Sweet. Uh, it's called Off Black. It's a, we call it a black pilsner, um, or you can consider it a Schwartz beer as well. Um, we like calling it a black pilsner, though, because it is on the lighter bodied side. It's 4.6% ABV, I think. Um, there is plenty of roast to it, but in terms of um, like malt body, it's, it's really approachable, easy drinking. Um, I love it. It's definitely one of my favorite beers that we've made. I think it's a staff favorite, too. Do you think so? Yeah, and we keep it as part of a rotating Pilsner series that we do. Um, so we've got a Czech Pils. We've got, like, experimental hoppy Pils. We do a through line where we play with some, um, you know, new hops grown in New Zealand with heritage from, like, uh, Hollertow. Um, but it's it's just a really fun way for us to find different expressions and a style that we always gravitate towards. Uh, off black in particular, this black pills is definitely like we make a batch, we can it, and uh, our staff goes nuts, and that helps sell it through the tap room too. Uh, the whole neighborhood kind of likes it, so it's it's fun for us. That's great. So let, let's uh, we've got a couple of uh, brewers or operations people with really interesting backstories here. Let's talk a little bit about how you know your experiences shaped who you are. So, Katie, uh, tell us again. You know, you worked at True, you worked at Great Divide, you know. How did that get you from there to here? What are some things that you've picked up and that you're still inspired to be doing? I know you're doing some mixed, interested in mixed fermentations. You're working with the barrel program. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, even before I was in production, I was working on the lab end of uh, lab end of things. Um, I was working as an intern in the quality lab at Trogues in Pennsylvania, uh, and and before that was doing work in you know commercial food science, a little bit of uh, kitchen work. So it's always been a, a push in the direction of beer, but with with flavor and consistency and process in mind, uh, and, and with always a really strong appreciation for mixed fermentation. I'd had my first, uh, I guess you'd call them sour Belgian beers back in 2013, and was just like, oh, this is what I've been looking for and what I want to be making. Okay, okay, now what? And and from there, it's kind of been just jumping on the next opportunity as it comes up. Yeah, and what about for you, Tom? I mean, you. You bartended at Burb Castle. You were my neighbor in the East Village. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I got into beer when I was in college, like, pretty young. I kind of skipped the macro beer thing, and I became a beer buyer at Whole Foods, 
like while I was in college and that kind of moved me up here to New York. I was my first job in New York was working at Whole Foods Chelsea, quickly became the beer buyer there. And then I left for a more professional job and I worked at a hospital for 11 years. But like that whole time I was bartending at Burp Castle and then later on Browery Lane. And um, Hannah, who was the director of operations at McKellar at the time, met me and she brought me in to open McKellar NYC with them. And that's how I met Katie. And our warehouse was going through an awkward phase and needed some like reining in and I got put in the warehouse and I reined the warehouse in pretty well, but I got really far away from product. And that's kind of when I made the jump to, from McKellar to Remarkable is I was like, I could have been like palletizing paper towels. Like it was no longer beer at that point. It was just boxes on a pallet. So yeah, now I'm at Remarkable selling beer. Yeah. And for Stephen, for you, so your backstory, UC Davis to, to Woodmer to Brooklyn Brewery, you know, how, what you, what you've experienced and learned, how you're applying that to your brewery now? You know, I've honestly had to forget a lot, um, opening small businesses. And I I mean that in the nicest way. I learned a ton from, um, you know, working at Widmer. A lot of what we were doing was, uh, Kona Longboard Lager because we were at the large brewery out of the, the couple breweries that we owned. So we were doing the large batches. So we're, you know, turning 12 longboard loggers a day. Uh, so learned a ton being able to do that. And at, at Brooklyn, you know, selling in as many countries as states at the time, uh, learning how to, you know, manage that kind of operation. But um, being able to distill what's relevant from there down to a small business, like, I mean, we have 13 people on our staff. And that's a lot for us. It feels, it feels huge. Um, but you know, being able to be, stay nimble and you know take some of these operational learnings and take what we need and be able to throw away some and say, hey, we could be flexible. You know, we don't need to worry too much about making some sour beer next to clean beer as long as we're smart about it. Uh, you know, we don't need to use the same operations that you know a larger brewery might be able to do. Samantha, I can tell you're ready to talk. <laughs> we have a lot <laughs> of questions nodding, for you. Nodding. Well, in terms of like my background and how that's brought me to where I am, which is that sure, why don't you start with sure, that? Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, I think we we think a lot. We're turning four soon, so we think a lot about where we're going and um, where we'd like to see the company go. And the flexible, nimble piece is the piece that we've all sort of really um, focused on in the last year or so, um, especially thinking about growth, uh, craft beer is in sort of a, a weird time right now. Um, people aren't growing the way they used to, the way they were maybe 10 years ago, at least in Chicago. Um, so we're thinking more about how do we grow internally? How do we support our staff? How do we make it a job that they would like for many years to come? Or at least how do we retain talent? Um, how do we offer benefits and parental leave? Things like that, that um, things that I care a lot, things about things that Stephen cares a lot about. And that's certainly um, influenced by my background in uh, working in social justice. So how, how do you tie that into a, a small business? Mm-hmm. You have seasonal, you know, ups and downs. Yeah. How do you, I mean, we have our, our friends upstate Common Roots. Mm-hmm. Um, they they talked the same way. They had, a, they had a big fire last year and they were shut down. Mm-hmm. And they did a fundraiser and they did other initiatives mainly to keep their staff employed mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they were an anchor in their town. Yeah, our staff is, that's our biggest asset. Uh, we're very, very lucky. We've had no turnover. People are super loyal. They're our biggest advocates. So it would be uh, foolish, I think, of us to um, d- to take them for granted. Um, so when we think about, we, we're not that good at budgeting, but when we think about our cash flow for the upcoming years, um, we put in 
like PTO is part of that is a line item. Parental leave is a line item, even if we don't know if anyone's planning. We What's have to PTO think, paid time uh, off. Paid time off, yeah. Uh huh. Um, so just thinking about those things proactively you can make it work so maybe it means that we're not going to buy a new tank in two years because um we've decided to have those more robust benefits and that's that's just the reality of it you do have to you have to make those choices um and so that's something that i think a lot of small businesses uh we didn't really understand when we first opened like oh we do have to like actually budget for that um so we're we're learning as we go but it's a priority it's like a whole a whole new way of looking at a brewery. Yeah. You know, it seems like the, the one era was everyone just working really hard, and I don't think anybody got paid at some point. So. Yeah, but we want to attract a diverse talent pool, and so we want to be sure that um, those folks are getting compensated. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, anyone want to talk about HR and, and how you operate <laughs> things? I mean, because some of you guys are like moonlighting as bartenders, and to me in New York City, I I, I don't. It seems that everybody has to have a second job here. Um, I mean, part part of the the reason to bartend on the side of whatever you're doing is the connections on top of the you know additional income stream. Like, yeah, a second paycheck is nice, but I think it's nice to get out of the echo chamber that a tap room can turn into, and and to stay on top of what other folks are doing, and and you know customers' reactions to things, and to, to see firsthand what people are enjoying and, and talking about. I, I definitely agree with that, and, but like on top, in addition, it's really hard to save money in the city, regardless of like any full time job you have. So so bartending's been this constant source of like me kind of stashing away, trying to like be an adult and like actually have savings and like be able to afford emergencies or things that come up, travel, etc. You guys? Well, and to be perfectly clear, we have Hopewell's not figured all these problems out, right? It's it's something we think about all the time. Um, and part of it is, you know, us, the Hopewell team, the people who work for us, they're smart. They're talented. I think everyone could be making more money going and working at some corporate job elsewhere, but they chose to work at small business. So the least we can do is work hard to compensate them the best that we can and give them a good life and give them you know, paid time off, sick leave, uh, parental leave, whatever comes up in, in life. Uh, you know, we're, we're figuring it out as we go in some cases. Um, and as we grow, we hope people grow with us. That's great. So who made the black pills? Uh, Do you have a team that's making it, or is there one head brewer now? So I, I'm the head brewer, or I guess brewmaster. I don't know. We've, we've got me, we've got uh, a brewer, and then we've got a packaging lead who also helps in, in the brewery. Um, we could probably use another person this year, but we're probably not hiring. Um, we're going to try to make it work with, with who we have, unless, uh, unless things really blow up. Who knows? Um, we'll, we'll have to hire to make more beer. Um, but the black pills, um, most ideas we generally crowdsource. A lot of it's just from our Slack channels. It's like, what beers do you guys want to see coming up? Um, but this one actually came earlier on from from me. Um, but we always kind of crowdsource, like, hey, what do you guys want? Sweeter body, lighter, crisp? You crowdsource in your customers or your staff? And more with it internally. Yeah. Um, you know, we rely heavily on, on people's opinions. I mean, they work there. They work at Hopewell for a reason. We, we trust their opinions and what they want to taste. Um, so we don't, you know, we can't do everything. But when we go with an idea, I, I want to hear what people actually want. Uh, you know, part of it's what do you want to actually go out and sell? Those guys have to go sell it. But part of it's what do we want to taste? What we, what flavor? What through lines are we going to be presenting? 
you know, talking about wanting to work at a brewery. Katie, so, you, you know, you live in New York City, but you got offered a job in New Jersey at Carton Brewing. Why did you take it? What, what, what's the culture at Carton that was appealing to you? I mean, when I first visited the brewery, that just there was a, a real air of potential. And you look around the space and you see all the room to grow and the, the team there that they've got is pretty solid. And it was not a move I planned on making, but it was one of those things where as soon as I went there, I'm like, oh, man, it's so stupid to say no to this. Like, I would really be short-sighted if I, if I walked away. I mean, we know the backstory on Carton really well. You know, Augie Carton's probably been on the show at least 10 times. He's the host of Steal This Beer. And uh, in the old days... At my old pub, Jimmy's number 43, I, Carton Boat Beer was, was the, my go-to beer for, for a couple of years. Um, what's changed there? I mean, you know, it was Carton Boat Beer. There's the, the 077 Still IPA. Boat beer. Yep. <laughs> Still have it with us actually here. Um, uh, we've got a number of the uh, regular coffee variants. So you've got, uh, you know, barrel-aged versions, non-barrel-aged versions, uh, plus a number of what we're calling our Highlander Vices, which are, you know, our... our light sour beers that are usually fruited or in other culinary uh, ingredient adjuncts. So the one I brought with me, actually, uh, Tom, you want to open this guy up? It's a Legome, and it's a sea buckthorn and licorice Highlander Vice. And it sounds really bizarre. It's uh, it's inspired by Scandinavian flavors, and it's, uh, I mean, super subtle, super light, but it's one of these things where uh, the, the inspiration for these beers always comes from some kind of dish, some kind of culinary experience, and we try to translate that into... Uh, I think Augie made one beer years ago with like a panzanella, where it was like cucumbers and tomatoes, and the, the, I think the grain was the bread. That sounds about like, right, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> how, do you, how do you fit into it? Because, um, you know, how do you work with the brewer that's there, you know, the roles that you're doing yourself? It's pretty flexible. I mean, it's a lot of, like, especially when trying to figure out how to incorporate these ingredients in a way that, that works... Uh, it's a lot of sitting down and, and blending out dosing rates together and, you know, talking back and forth of like, oh, is, is this too much? Is this not enough? How do, what, at what point do we add certain things? How do we make, you know, something that has in, in the culinary dish, you know, texture and, and uh, variation of, of those things, how do you translate that to a beverage where the only texture is carbonation or a mouthfeel? So how do you, how do you work into a simplified more, more, uh, not one-dimensional because that sounds simple, but it's it's still a flatter interpretation or experience of, of flavor and, and aroma. And then just jumping to mixed fermentation, you mentioned Rose Hill Farm upstate. You were talking about uh, it's a, cider <laughs> with Dylan. Those guys are, are, are an orchard up in uh, Red Hook, New York. Doing They're going to be opening up uh, sometime in the next year. And I visited them back in October and tried some spontaneous fermented parries and ciders and was really blown away by what they're getting from just the fruit skins and the atmosphere around them. In Red Hook? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Red Hook, New York, not Red Hook, Brooklyn. Hudson Valley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Different scene. But I'm going to go back. So we're tasting the Carton beer. Uh, Stephen, with your UC Davis high score, we want to talk (laughs) us through and taste it. How how do you taste things? Oh, how do I taste things? I use my mouth and... (laughs) Uh, th- this this is a fantastic beer, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I I generally just start with kind of the top notes, like you know, are you getting a lot of fruit, a lot of uh, you know, hop, are you getting sour tartness? Um, I think acidity is often a driver, so um, that to me usually stands out. If the acid feels wrong, that's the first edge you'll feel. Um, but then beyond that, um, you know, I think a little bit of alcohol usually helps round things out, gives a little bit of heat, a little bit of sweetness, and then. 
Um, I think to your, to your point that the texture of the body is, is often underlooked. Um, that's something that can really throw things off on our Pilsners. We, we do our best to push the, the carbonation a little higher and that often kind of completes the picture for us. Um, there's kind of a, a limit cause not everyone's got like the best draft system. So you got to still be able to serve the beer. Um, if, if, if you're pouring it somewhere that, that doesn't have like a super high carb system. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we try to think holistically, especially about the beers we're doing. Um, we do a, a fair amount of mixed fermentation. Um, we do a fair amount of barrel aging and we do a fair amount of what we just call tote aging. Um, <laughs> we throw beers into IBC totes and do mixed firm, uh, co-ferments, um, and, you know, manage them. But, you know, a lot of it's just passive sitting around, seeing what comes out, what we like and blending from there. Great. And, uh, is there a style of this beer? This, uh, I mean, we call it a Highlander Weiss. It's kind of similar to a Berliner Weiss in that it's a, you know, pre-acidified, it's acidified wort, and then it gets a, a yeast uh, after it gets reboiled. So, yeah, it's very refreshing. How do you find it? So, what's the sea buckthorn like when you add it in? Uh, this is a puree, uh, just because sea buckthorn is one of those things. Right, they're tiny you, little berries. Yeah, they're right? these little like uh, oversized cranberry-shaped right. uh, little really orange, orange guys. And yeah, on their own, they're incredibly astringent. So you have to mm-hmm. kind of find the the balance there of how much lends the aroma and flavor mm-hmm. without getting aggressive on your palate, mm-hmm. uh, which definitely took a couple uh, trial and error, especially yeah. when we first. Taste of the puree, I was like, ooh, that is intense stuff. Yeah. How do you, like, we know it's going to be good, but at what Samantha, point? Samantha, how did you know what a sea buckthorn is? Uh, Have you ever seen one or had one? Uh, I've had it. So I, there's this restaurant, actually, in Portland, Oregon, called Kachka, that makes a sea buckthorn vodka, infused vodka, um, So, which is incredible. That if you're ever fantastic. That place is Oregon, great. Isn't it great? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they have this sea buckthorn vodka. They do this like vodka flight, um, and it's incredible. And it comes out this bright, bright, like sunny delight orange. So I want to ask you guys about what you're thinking about. You might be distributing in New York City. Tell us about some of the steps involved in that. And if you're really serious about it, do do you want to be you know expanding in that way? The little business side of it. Uh, yeah, so we only distribute in Chicago at the moment. We self-distribute, so we don't even work with the distributor in our home market. So it's kind of a lot to consider uh, going outside of our own market. So first, it's finding that relationship, uh, and then second, or I guess first and second at the same time, is does anyone care in New York about our brewery? Um, so we've been spending the last few days... I like the black pill. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear that uh, dark loggers are having a moment right now here. They are. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've been visiting some spots, just testing out if people like our beer. And, you know, uh, we've gotten great response, but uh, we need to, I think we need to not be there in person because who wants to say no to us when we're there? Uh, everyone's just been so nice. Um, and so that's, we're just doing a little bit of the market research right now, just like feet on the ground. Um, and then a capacity question. We're still very small. We were selling all of the beer that we made in Chicago last year. We bought two new tanks, though, and a footer, so we've got a little bit more capacity where we can start thinking about outside markets. Um, so that's the other part, the piece in the puzzle. Is so can Tom, we, can if, we if you guys are as remarkable, let's say you're going to take on Hopewell, forget the business side, but is there a cer- certain beer or style that you would you would target? I mean, that's so out far outside of my realm that, like, I can't even comment on that. But, um, you know, 
like high quality liquid always moves and like we have like tons of knowledgeable beer buyers who know what they're looking for who know what they like and it's like if the liquid's right the price is right the people are right like you see a lot more buyers these days putting emphasis on people physical locations keeping the lights on like we're in an era where contract brew is a very big thing and there's a lot of great people behind these brands but it's like you still see buyers who have buying power putting their money behind people who are keeping the lights on and like and like they put values on so with the a ethics. physical brewery yeah, yeah physical brewery the ethics behind the brewery the people behind the brewery and then the quality of the liquid like all those things come into play on what moves in this market so let's talk about so the second beer that we had from hopewell was an IPA? Yeah, that was called Going Places. It's new for us this January. Um, last year, Samantha alluded to it, we ran into some capacity concerns, which is great. You know, we're a small business. We have a bunch of a small SBA loan debt. So to be using those tanks to their fullest was amazing. Uh, meant we made some tough choices. Uh, we had a pale ale ride or die that was killing it. Um, so we actually killed off our year-round IPA over the summer. Um, which gave us opportunity to play around with a whole bunch of different ideas, different directions, and going places is the result. Um, I, I mean, we made it, so this is obvious, but I really like it. <laughs> I like it. I'll take some more, too. Yeah. Right, you know, I know our sales team is happy to have an IPA to go out and sell again. Um, but for me, it's just it's a great expression of kind of where we're at. It's not hazy, um, radio listeners. It's fairly bright. Um, it's, it's unfiltered, but it's, you know, um, it doesn't have a hazy yeast to it um i think it's a good blend of kind of the old school and the new school it's got some of the dank the the floral the citrus but a good amount of that you know passion fruit uh some a little bit of like coconut vanilla in there as well um it's just it's it's really pleasant and it's it's uh, got enough body behind it where you can uh, you know it's got a little bit of sweetness a little bit to bite into to kind of carry you to that next sip um, for us, it's, you know, it's kind of representative of where we are coming into our fourth anniversary now. It just felt like going places just felt right. That's great. Katie, er- earlier I mentioned that I might ask, have you ask a question. Is there anything that we've tasted or talked about uh, with Hopewell that you'd like to, to ask them about or something that you've been thinking about? Um, just, you know, one of the biggest things I think is taking care of your people and making sure that folks feel like they're as valuable an asset to the company as, as the product is itself and the space. I just think that's pretty impressive uh, that you guys are working to, to reduce turnover and, and, you know, keep a valuable team as, as one of the core assets. Uh, in terms of growth, though, like what's what's the foreseeable challenges you, you're looking at down the road? Mm. So I think um, that's a great question. Um, it is, like I was saying a little bit earlier, uh, when we think about taking care of people and making sure that they're well supported, it might mean at the cost or the expense of growing capacity sometimes so growing slower we are very we're very slow to grow at Hopewell Um, I mean it's been actually it feels like extreme growth to me Um, but we're very proud to be at 3,000 barrels this year and you know maybe we'll grow 20 percent 30 percent which is huge but some breweries our age, or our, you know, in their fourth year, are exploding so much more than that, um, and just and so to not get that sort of FOMO feeling of wait, what are we doing wrong? Um, because we're putting, we're investing back into our business in a different way. So um, a lot of small businesses 
take all of the profit they make and they invest it back into the business, either through sure. building capacity, um, but we would prefer to build capacity through retaining talent uh, because that's an asset as well. Yeah. Tom, anything you want to ask them? Um, no, I like no just, personal catch-ups, but you guys were friends. Yeah, right? for sure. Um, I, I like the first thing that put me on to how y'all viewed your business was when that good beer hunting pop podcast popped mm. up that you were on. I'm on that board now of the uh, nonprofit that was that's awesome. on that podcast. Yeah, yeah, but like no, that podcast like made me. I knew y'all were always doing things in the right direction, but like that was like a really special moment when I heard you on there and. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, say the I'm name. so. Oh yeah, I should say that. <laughs> so the nonprofit's called Healing to Action, and their mission is to end gender-based violence. That's it, when I learned that that was their mission. I was like, that's a huge mission. But yeah, why shouldn't we be ambitious about ending gender-based violence? Um, so I'm so glad that you listened to that and, and liked yeah. it. That's great. So you tell us more about your community then. That's a great intro. Um, that seems to be an important part of the brewery. Do you host things there? Yeah, so we have a tap room in Logan Square, um, and it's uh, definitely, uh, it has a strong neighborhood presence. I'm really proud of that fact. We were hoping that it would act as this like communal third space, and it really has come to fruition. Um, so we host a lot of benefits, events, and parties, because we're at tap rooms, so people drink beer and party. Um, but... I think um, Logan Square as a neighborhood has just been really, really supportive of small business in general. Um, our neighbors, come, we have regulars who come all the time, and they, they really... Can you mention a couple neighboring businesses? Oh, sure, yeah. Same, share the same... Like, yeah, so uh, Lula Cafe is an institution in Logan Square, and they're, you know, like four blocks down from us. Uh, across the street is uh, this guy, Tim, who owns a vintage store. He sells great beautiful mid-century furniture. We've got Longman Eagle, who just celebrated their 10th anniversary, which is crazy. Uh, I know. And Lula celebrated their 20th anniversary. Those are those places are both awesome. I know. Yeah. It's, it's oh insane. It's insane. Um, so we've just got really great institutions and new businesses. You guys are awesome. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Jacobson Salt Company. Jacobson's Flake and Kosher Sea Salts have garnered worldwide favor for their beautiful presentation and pure taste. In addition to an extensive assortment of pure sea salts and infused sea salts, Jacobson Salt Company also produces a line of salty confections, honey, cocktail salts, seasonings, gift sets, and other pantry staples. Harvested from the cold, pristine waters of Neatards Bay on the Oregon coast, Jacobson Salt Company is a favorite amongst professionals and home cooks alike. Founded in 2011, Jacobson Salt Company's mission is grounded in craftsmanship and community, maintaining the vision of providing the very best cooking ingredients, from hand-harvested sea salt to single-origin honey. More information on Jacobson Salt Company and their extensive line of products can be found at jacobsonsalt.com. Kyoko. 
Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. Become a member. It's like going into our 11th season. So this is a special place with over 10,000 uh, podcasts and shows about chefs and food and beer and uh, farm reports and equity and all that good stuff. So check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. So we got the Hopewell crew here, Samantha and Stephen. So, um, so Stephen, once again, tell us, you... You went to UC Davis, but you took a test, and you scored the highest. Just tell us about that again, because that's very remarkable to me, because we've had master Cicerones on, but I don't know anyone who's, like, have academic achievement as in the brewing field. Sure. So, there, I mean, there's not a ton of certifications in beer. Um, there's You can study um, yeast, enology, food science, um, and go into academics. Um, and that, there's plenty of research there. But for active, you know, if you just want to work in brewing, um, there's a program out of Chicago, and then there's the program I did in UC Davis um, that are kind of the main ones that you see. Um, the one out of UC Davis is uh, based around the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. Um, it's based in the UK. Um, and the, the year I took it, everyone takes the test at the end of the, you know, the study course. And um, it's like a three-day test. It's kind of grueling. Uh, but the year I took it, I got the, the highest score and got like an award. So that's uh, the only reason Samantha married you. <laughs> yeah, well, we went out to Scotland to receive that award. Um, and we didn't quite know what it all entailed uh so we showed up in our like regular clothes our street clothes show up and it's in scotland so they're wearing their finest which is kilts and we realized oh we're completely underdressed uh but it was a really cool opportunity and it I, it sounds like katie though you have an academic background in uh, uh, yeah yeah in fermentation science as well, right yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I got my undergraduate uh, in food science at Penn State and then after that did a, a brewing degree at Siebel as well oh cool so, oh yeah. so that's how you know Chicago yeah oh, yeah exactly cool, cool. exactly spent a couple months in Chicago oh, and awesome. really fell in love with the city yeah that's great it, it does it seems great that there's like um this like professionalism in in yeah. this industry too it's it's really nice to see yeah um it especially as the industry matures to see like a, a careful and, and, and not quite engineering approach, but, but a, a direction-filled approach. So I can, am I allowed to ask a question? Of course. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to ask Katie. Um, so a lot of the wild beers we do, um, we're very thoughtful about what we do, but a lot of it's um, a bit passive, you know, kind of seeing what comes out and then blending from there. Um, and you kind of, you know, mentioned your, your background and your approach. I'd, I guess my question is kind of how active are you thinking about when you're making things or thinking about blending them, are you thinking about kind of the microbiology or my, what might happen, or is it a little bit, um, you know, down the road tasting different things and, and blending from there? Uh, so right now at Carton, I, I inherited a whole lot of blending stock from the previous folks who were there. Um, but one of the things I like to think about in terms of mixed culture is, yes, you're letting the bugs do their thing and you're letting, uh, you know, chance take its hold, but you have certain parameters in your control, like temperature, time, pH, those are all, uh, and, and even just which ingredients have which microbial inhibitors in them. And so you're looking at, okay, if I nudge the environment in this direction, what's the outcome going to look like? Um, and that can be, you know, staggered or simultaneous pitch times. That can be uh, brewing in the winter versus the summer, especially if you have, you know, poor temp control in your facility. Older buildings are always going to be tricky with that. Warehouses are always going to be tricky with that. Uh, so it's a lot of thinking in terms of, okay, you know, certain, certain things are going to compete in certain ways. So how do you, how do you nudge 
without completely taking control because with mixed culture you, you can't really take full control so I love that. So we're Hopewell. We're we're doing all of our clean beer and dirty beer or sour beer, call it dirty. Um, you know, mixed fermentation, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's all in the same space, and we've got like you know maybe four thousand square feet where we're all doing it. And uh, to your point, we don't have a lot of temperature control. It's kind of whatever it is, and we can rotate things high to low. Um, one year we actually did uh, during construction project, an expansion project, where we move everything off site. Um, uh, partner business was nice enough to store some beer for us, um, and then we brought it back, and that was actually really nice stuff. Uh, oh, wow. I don't know how we replicate that. Um, you but start construction again and move it off. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, we'll just Maybe do exactly get a, the same thing. Eighteenth uh, century sailing vessel. Or yeah, just move it around town. Um, but a lot of what we do too is like um, we've got this project uh, called Neon, um, which I have a bottle. Unfortunately, it's not cold. Um, I've been carrying it around the city all day, but. Um, it's heavily fruited, so we have a good idea of what the base is going into there and where it's at. But then once the fruit goes in, it's kind of doing its own thing, and we're okay with that. We can live with a little bit of that, like you know what happens happens. Um, but I'm always fascinated with how people are um, putting different controls or you know just different thoughts into the whole process. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be learned from the wine industry in that sense of like they're using you know fruit as their base and they're using season and and really simple techniques to create all kinds of really complicated flavors. So how can we use those similar simple techniques with, you know, an even wider variety of ingredients, uh, in our, in our command to make some really, really beautiful stuff. Yeah. I think we've taken a lot of cues out of natural wine as well. Um, and I, I shouldn't say, you know, that we, we just kind of let it sit and see what happens. Um, but that, that is part of it. You got to be comfortable with letting things do their thing. And if it's not where you want it, you either got to, you know, pitch a little bit more of a specific blend or, you know, blend in some barrels or pull some stuff off or, or just give it some time and see what happens. And we've, we've ended up, um, we're building our stocks that are four years old now and we finally got a good amount of barrels that are producing some really delightful stuff. We just brought in a footer last week. So that got filled, oh, wow. uh, yesterday, it got filled yesterday. Yeah, oh yeah. We're going to do a couple clean beers in there and then start doing some wild beers. Um, it's, I, it's fascinating to hear how different people approach it. It's, it's a fun way to make beer. Katie, do you want to ask him a question? <laughs> I, I love this. What's the, the uh, what's the first clean beer going into the footer? Oh, that is great. We are making like, uh, it's called footer pale ale, and it is like a Maris Otter English style pale ale going on oak. As soon as that gets out, we're going footer pills. Uh, we make a ton of pilsners at Hopewell. We love making lagers, so we're definitely making a footer pills. Uh, I think I'd like to do those uh, continuously, but we're, we're probably better off filling it with some wild beer and letting that get going after that. Yeah, I mean, that's how Three started their fooder program where they said, oh, we're going to do a few of these clean beers and then eventually go to wild. And the Pilsners were so popular that, like, mm. I mean, you'd still get all their fooder pills all the time. They're, they're fantastic beers. Yeah, I actually I started my day over at Three's today and just saw they have a brand new footer in there. So I oh, nice. think it'll be fun to see what the new stuff coming out, the new clean beers coming out, if it has a little bit different oak character, the same. Uh, it's part of the fun fermenting that way. Yeah, yeah. Tom, do you have a question for these guys? Um, like, as a consumer, not as someone in the industry, I think a lot about intent of breweries, and I feel like Hopewell has a lot of intent behind their beers. Partially, you can tell that because Stephen just said he's putting Maris Otter in a pale ale, and like that's not necessarily what the industry's doing in general, but how do you balance um, your intent as a brewer and your intent as a brew staff 
with what the industry is demanding, like the consumer as well as your like staff? Uh, this is thoughtful. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I think an example might be going places, our IPA. Um, it's not a hazy IPA. Um, and it, not to say that we don't like those styles and not to say we never will brew one, but we haven't yet. Um, and part of that is we have limited bandwidth and we've seen the breweries making those tend to, to make those and that's all they make. Um, and it's just not where we wanted to live. We wanted part of being in small business is like you get to make choices and experiment and play around with things and you know keep people interested so if people have ideas they come to us and we can you know make them happen and see them through i think that's a lot of the focus and message behind what we're doing we try to keep a clear through line so if someone has a hopewell beer it tastes whatever the, that intangible hopewellness is <laughs> Um, and you know, part of that is everything kind of gets filtered through me to get it onto paper. So there, at least there's kind of like one check, but beyond that, I think we just want to make sure that we're making beers that, um, we can really stand behind and that, you know, maybe they're not around forever, but that we can, you know, brew for a while. And if, you know, things sunset, we can move on to the next big project. Yeah. There's something to be said too, about like sticking to a, a, a beer that you're really proud of and that stays consistent despite trends. Like you look at like especially with all the hazy and New England stuff, like, yeah, it, it's it's nice to have a mild bitterness. It's nice to have a full palate. But, you know, there's certain beers that, like, they started before the hazy craze and they're going to continue on after the hazy craze. And, like, even, you know, in the Carton Wheelhouse, we've got Boat that just, like, is always going to be there and it's always going to be this, like, solid session pail that's, like, not hazy, well-balanced. And, you know, it, it was born before New England stuff and... Like it's that kind of thing where it's like you, you stick to your pilsners, you stick to your your IPAs, the neon, the things that make you feel like yeah, this this represents our ethos, this represents our brewery, this like is an iteration of of how we feel beer should be, and and there's something to be said about resisting the drives of the market so closely. That's great, Tom. What's that other beer you just poured us? Um, I'm gonna let Katie pronounce it because I don't want to mispronounce the name. Sure, it's called Oppose Two. And who's the brewer? It's um, Carton OWC. It's a mixed ferment blended ale. Mm. Wow, it's delicious! It's really great. I didn't know that. That so this is part of the projects that you're working on, Katie. This, this is actually this is a uh, one that was conditioning when I when I actually arrived at the brewery. So I did not have a hand in it, but it was uh, premiered this weekend at EBF up in Boston, and it'll be in the market at some point soon. Uh, it's a blended and dry hopped uh, mixed fermented ale. Uh, from a couple different blending stocks and projects throughout the brewery. So there's still some of the, the base beer that I'm working with uh, in existence, as well as uh, the vessels that had this culture in them. So it, it'll, we'll have similar things coming out in the future, too. We've had some really great conversations here today, and uh, thanks, everybody, for, for bringing this together. Um, Samantha, let's close it out with, again, talking about the community that you've helped build, because you're very understated, and, and I'm... I, I'm really impressed by you because coming in the afterthought was oh is it okay if i bring my husband steven <laughs> <laughs> and the whole show's been about how much this guy knows about beer that's so. true yeah i like to i like to hear him talk about beer um yeah i think uh the only reason that we're able to survive as a business is because we've got support um we're we're very fortunate that we've got the same regulars since day one the day that we opened i still see those familiar faces that come into our brewery um so i'd say that generally the folks who do uh, drink our beer and visit our tap room are they are 
they like craft beer, obviously, but they're not necessarily super, super knowledgeable. Um, and they feel comfortable in our space trying different things. Um, and so we're able to open the door to folks who may feel maybe more intimidated in other craft beer spaces uh, because we, I hope, we provide an environment where they can actively learn with us because I think the education piece is still huge. There's, you know, we think that so many people drink craft beer, but we're still a small portion of just the overall beer drinking market. Um, So I think there's still room to grow, uh, not just from the, like, uh, uh, market perspective of, like, I'd like to grow sales perspective, just room to grow in terms of making it a more open and inclusive environment. Um, and that starts for us in the tap room. And, you know, it means that our the people who live upstairs, because uh, we have apartments upstairs from us in our tap room, they can come downstairs and grab a pint. And maybe they love to have high life uh, at the end of the night. We can work with that. Like, we, we're happy to work with them. Um, because it's, you know, it's never really just about the beer. People come after they've had a long day at work, or maybe they're meeting up with a friend. Um, and that's the environment that we, we want to continue to cultivate. Well, you guys, thanks for so much for coming in. And then, uh, Katie, you just impressed me so much because Tom had mentioned he brought a, a bottle from Jester King, and I was tasting this, this beer from a glass bottle, and I thought your beer was from Jester King. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, so there's a lot of things going on at Carton. We're going to... We're going to have you back on, Katie. Tom's great to see you again. We're going to have you back on. You guys, next time in New York City, we'll have you back on. So, totally. everybody, one more time, just say your full name and where you work, and we're going to close this out. Um, Katie Cochran at Carton Brewing in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. Tom Pavlich, Remarkable Liquids, Westside Manhattan. Stephen Basu, one of the founders at Hopewell Brewing in Chicago. Samantha Lee, also of Hopewell Brewing Company in Chicago. You guys, thanks so much for joining us here on the Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, intern Kevin Barnum Chang, and engineer extraordinaire, Matt Patterson. I'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.